Chapters thirty three and thirty four of Taken at the Flood by Mary Elizabeth Braddon. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Thirty three. Thou lookest so like what once was mine. Time wears the beauty of all temporal blessings. That stately old yellow chariot, which had been at first a source of pride to Lady Perriam, by degrees became almost loathsome, so dismal were her lonely drives sir aubrey preferred pottering about his farms on splendour to promenades in the yellow chariot so sylvia had that equipage to herself and her own thoughts it was like a state prison upon wheels beautiful as was the scenery round perriam sylvia soon grew weary of nature's loveliness before she had been a month at the place she knew the landscape by heart the hillsides from which she saw the distant sea the ferny lanes down which the great coach went staggering and rumbling into the pastoral valleys whose cob-walled cottages looked the chosen abodes of peace and contentment lady perriam looked at those rustic houses with a strange perplexed feeling she had not been happy when she lived in a cottage yet now that she inhabited a mansion it seemed to her as if those humbler dwellings must hold the secret of happiness she was very lonely her lord's society gave her no delight the park and gardens of perriam place became as a desert to her weary eyes she paced the italian terrace day after day and looking down at the peaceful graveyard below the marble balustrade envied those perriams who no longer knew life's weariness the few county families with whom sir aubrey condescended to maintain a tepid acquaintance paid their formal visits to the new mistress of the place and were not a little surprised at the graceful ease of manner with which lady perriam received them she was in no wise abashed by these magnates of the land but others came as well as the county people mrs toynbee and her two overdressed daughters were among the earliest of sylvia's visitors the manufacturer's wife came with the intention of patronizing lady perriam but was not slow to discover from sylvia's icy reception that patronage was not exactly the tone to take here we always said you would marry well my dear said mrs toynbee almost taking credit to herself for sylvia's elevation you had an air so far above your station my father was a gentleman before he was a parish schoolmaster answered lady perriam coolly i never pretended to a higher station than that of a gentleman's daughter of course not my love but you know there are lines of demarcation every one could see how superior you and mr carew were yet the gentry couldn't associate with you quite on equal terms however much they might wish it i'm sure i for one would have been charmed to have you at my parties quite an ornament to them but one's friends make such remarks if one steps ever so little way over the boundary line yes mrs toynbee no doubt persons of your position must be punctilious the trading classes are full of narrow-minded prejudices but with people of sir aubrey's rank it is quite different their position is not dependent on any one's approval or opinion my carriage has been waiting for the last half-hour mrs toynbee added lady perriam ringing the bell will you permit me to wish you good morning and the magnificent mrs toynbee the richest woman in headingham parish found herself bowed out by the village schoolmaster's daughter did you ever see such insolence cried this outraged female as she spread out her silken flounces in the amplitude of their splendour and settled herself in her luxurious landau new from the coach-builders and with all the latest improvements in landaus of course not ma but you might have saved us such a humiliation if you'd taken my advice retorted juliana toynbee acrimoniously nasty thing exclaimed edith the second sister meaning lady perriam 
to treat us like that when i was going to be a friend to her out of right-down charity continued mrs toynbee what can she know about giving dinner-parties or any of the things that become her station what she wants is a clever and experienced friend at her elbow to put her in the way of doing things in the right style my dinners have been talked of from one end of the county to the other and i shouldn't have minded any trouble to put her in the right way if she had shown herself commonly grateful it isn't in her to be grateful returned juliana and as to visiting at Perriam, i wouldn't darken her doors if she was to send us a formal invitation once a week besides every one knows sir aubrey is as close as he well can be and i don't suppose she'll ever have the chance of giving parties and thus these ladies drove home talking of sylvia all the way very warm as to their tempers and very flushed as to their faces and it was solemnly voted in the toynbee household that sylvia lady Perriam, was to be counted among the dead the day came when sylvia was to see edmund standon for the first time since that sorrowful parting by the tomb of the de Bossonies. she heard of his return soon after it happened heard of it from the lips of mr bain who announced the fact carelessly enough yet contrived to watch the effect of that announcement upon sylvia one bright hectic spot flamed in the delicate cheek but faded before sir aubrey had time to notice it mr stanton has gone into the bank said the steward not unwilling to prolong the discussion the western union as they call it since it's been made a joint stock bank it has set people talking a little nobody thought young stanton would have gone into business he has plenty to live upon or will have after his mother's death though i believe at present he is quite dependent on the old lady i feel no interest in mr stanton or his affairs remarked the baronet with dignity so mr bain said no more for several sundays after their arrival at the place sylvia and her husband attended the little church in the dell where a mild incumbent performed two services every sunday for the enlightenment of a sparse congregation drawn from adjacent hamlets then came a fine sunny sabbath at the beginning of december and sir aubrey proposed that they should go to church at Hedingham. i like vancourt's sermons better than smallman's said the baronet we may as well drive over to Hedingham." sylvia felt a kind of catch in her throat which prevented her saying yes or no to this proposition she should see him again then that edmund standon whom she had once sworn to love eternally she dreaded seeing him yet desired to see him to look on the unforgotten face were it but for a moment the church looked bright and gay on that wintry morning bright with the cheerful december sunshine sir aubrey owned a large square pew in the chancel which was the most aristocratic part of the edifice a pew placed as near the altar rails as it could be placed in a manner within the sanctuary a pew that was sumptuously provided with crimson cushions luxurious footstools prayer-books of largest type bound in faded crimson russia and emblazoned with the perium coat of arms prayer-books in which good king george and a string of princes and princesses whose names are history were prayed for assiduously these chancel pews were on a slightly higher level than the body of the church and from sir aubrey's pew sylvia commanded a full view of the dean-house party who occupied a front pew in the central aisle there they all were mrs standon the delicate-looking widow from demerara with a little girl of six years old at her side esther and edmund all in mourning a very sombre-looking party not once during the service did edmund's eyes wander in sylvia's direction yet she felt that he was aware of her presence those dark eyes of his were for the most part bent rigidly upon his book 
sylvia remembered his old manner which though devout was scarcely so attentive to the mere letter of the service sir aubrey and his wife left the church by a little side door it was one of the privileges of the chancel people to use this door but in the churchyard sir aubrey was buttonholed by a brother landowner and while they were standing in the narrow path close by that too well-remembered monument of the de bosneys edmund and esther rochdale passed them for one moment only the young man looked at sylvia such a look contempt so scathing is not often expressed in one brief flash from disdainful eyes one curve of a scornful lip deadly pale yet with a look of unshaken firmness her jilted lover passed her by and the sharpest pain her heart had power to feel sylvia felt at that moment i hope i may never see him again she thought as the yellow chariot bore her back to Perium. never unless i were free to win back his love i know i could win it though he may despise me now if i were only free to try and she looked at sir aubrey and began to speculate how long a man of that age might live five years ten fifteen twenty perhaps who could tell for what length of years an existence so placid and temperate as sir aubrey's might flow smoothly on did she wish him dead did a thought so dark as to be in itself a crime ever enter her heart it had come but too near that with lady Perriam. she had never shaped an actual wish but she had calculated the measure of her husband's days and had pictured to herself what might happen when he should take his rest with those other periums in the churchyard in that green hollow where hart's tongue fern pushed its curved leaves between the crumbling stones of the old grey wall what a marvellous change that one event of sir aubrey's death would make in her existence she would have five thousand a year her very own to squander as she pleased instead of a pittance of two hundred a year doled out to her quarterly and she would be free free to recover edmund standon's love were it possible for him to forgive her i don't believe he could be angry with me very long she thought or that he could shut his heart against me he would remember those happy summer evenings all the past would come back to him in a breath and all his love with it there was one fear which tortured sylvia whenever her thoughts drifted that way what if edmund should marry esther rochdale she felt sure that esther was fond of him she had made up her mind about that long ago and it was an understood thing in Headingham where people knew or affected to know the most secret desires of their neighbours that mrs standon wished to see those two married what more likely than that she would now try to patch up an engagement between them his sister will help her no doubt thought sylvia and between them they will worry him into marrying that dark little thing she remembered esther's winning gentleness her soft dark eyes with their pensive pleading look not a girl against whom a man could steal his heart for ever one might think the idea of this possibility added a new sting to lady Perriam's keen regret it made even the dullness of her life more bitter she was glad to keep mary peter in her dressing-room for an hour's chat now and then when that young person brought her home some new garment and to hear her gossip about the headingham people and sometimes a little about the occupants of dean house sir aubrey happened to interrupt this friendly gossip one day and after mary peter had retired frozen by the baronet's urbanity he expressed himself somewhat strongly upon the subject of his wife's familiarity with the village mantua-maker i was not familiar with her pleaded sylvia i let her talk that was all my love to let a person of that kind tattle is to be familiar with her 
it presupposes an interest in her conversation which it ought to be impossible for you to feel she talks about people i used to see before i was married said sylvia but with whom you have nothing more to do and in whom your interest ought to have ceased with your marriage pray never let me see that young woman again she makes my dresses remonstrated sylvia i don't see how i can get on without her are you so childish as to suppose that there is only one dressmaker at your service you can have your gowns made by mrs bowker of monkhampton a very proper person sylvia sighed and submitted so mary peter who could talk of edmund recalling memories that were at once sweet and sad was banished from Perriam place little as sylvia had cared for this humble friend she felt life more lonely without her occasional society her father was away still rejoicing in the sunshine of a warmer sky on the shores of the mediterranean just contriving to exist at a third-rate boarding-house on his scanty income he liked the shores of the mediterranean even under the disadvantage of a limited income much better than the village of headingham and had no intention of returning to english rusticity yet awhile he wrote to his daughter occasionally not forgetting to hint that any addition to his pittance which she might be inclined to make would be welcome sir aubrey had given one state dinner to those county people who had called upon his wife a dinner distinguished by a solemn splendour but almost as gloomy as that sepulchral banquet which the roman tyrant domitian gave to his friends where the walls were hung with black and the paraphernalia of death so closely represented that many of the amiable caesar's guests swooned away and died in real earnest slain by the mere horror of this ghastly jest after this state dinner there were no more gaieties at Perium but sir aubrey took his lovely wife to three or four feasts of the same kind which his friends gave in her honour this constituted sylvia's brief experience of the polite world for now came an event which was to exclude sir aubrey Perriam from society for ever thirty four so fair a form lodged not a mind so ill sylvia had been married six months february the weariest month in a cheerless winter was dragging slowly to its dismal end a northeast wind shook the casements of parium place the leafless elms in the avenue tossed their ragged branches as in the writhings of despair as if they ejaculated hopelessly when is warmer weather coming when are we going to bud even the monkey-trees swayed and creaked before the blast only the cedars stood up grimly stern and defied the nor'easter very dreary had been that long winter to lady Perriam. after the half-dozen dinner-parties given in her honour at the manor-houses granges and towers within fifteen miles of Perriam place there had been no further gaiety of any kind even her solitary airings in the yellow chariot had been curtailed by the inclemency of the weather there had been nothing for her to do but walk about the spacious old house with its vast empty useless rooms and speculate what it might have been under a different master if fortune had given edmund and me such a house with sir aubrey's wealth how delightful we would have made it we could have filled these dismal corridors with pleasant people and made that fault-like dining-room brilliant with light and fire and bright eyes and jewels and splendid dresses every day would have brought some new pleasure this was the drift of sylvia's fancies very often as she paced the long music-room which knew not the sound of music on wet afternoons when there was not one gleam of brightness in the leaden sky hardly a glimmer of hope in her own life she had thought to taste all the pleasures of the world as sir aubrey's wife 
with the baronet newly subjugated and at her feet it had seemed such an easy thing to rule him she had hoped for a slave and she had found a master a stricter master than her father for beneath mr carew's sway she had been able to do pretty much as she pleased so long as she administered to all his wants and gave him a well-cooked dinner with sir aubrey for her master she had her own way in hardly anything he was not unkind to her and that made her bondage seem all the worse she had no ground for complaint against that smooth tyranny rebellion was almost impossible he forbade this he advised that but he was always suavity itself he narrowed her life into so small a circle that a squirrel in a cage might have known as much of liberty friends or acquaintance she had none for the county people who had been willing to take her by the hand had all fallen away receiving no encouragement to be civil that severe winter tried sir aubrey's somewhat feeble constitution he had a good deal of illness and the stately gentleman who had seemed such a model of old-fashioned gallantry that warm summer afternoon in mr hopling's orchard was restless fretful and peevish when afflicted with influenza or a mild attack of bronchitis at these times sir aubrey preferred the ministrations of jean chapelain to those of his young wife yet expected that sylvia should spend a good deal of her time in the sick-room and liked her to read the political articles and foreign correspondence in the times for his edification she performed all her duties with a tolerable grace but weariness was in her heart nevertheless but if sir aubrey's society was at times a burden almost too heavy for impatient youth to bear mordred perriam's dullness was still harder to be endured he was a more fatiguing companion than his brother inasmuch as he talked a great deal more he was fond of talking and the chief deprivation of his life hitherto had been the lack of listeners he found sylvia courteously attentive to his discourse she did not want to be rude to her husband's brother so he at once seized upon her as the long-desired listener he had just sense enough to perceive her intelligence and he told himself that his dry-as-dust discourse would expand and improve her mind you are not like ordinary young women my dear he said when sylvia confessed her desire to learn latin and to know something of the classic writers you can take an interest in great subjects day after day evening after evening he twaddled on in the same dull dry way shedding no ray of light from his own intellect upon the pages he pored over and whose contents it was his delight to recapitulate he was always finding little bits in his daily studies which he thought would interest sylvia and the little bits were usually the dullest passages in the prosings of some third-rate philosopher the tritest axioms of morality inflated into importance by grandiloquent language when the baronet was confined to his room which happened often during that doleful winter mordred and sylvia took their meals tete-a-tete -tete in the gloomy dining-room the mild old bookworm would even desert his beloved kitchen garden to take his constitutional in sylvia's company shambling up and down the terrace never ceasing from that even flow of prosiness there were moments when lady perriam was wicked enough to wish him a sharer in that tranquil silence which ruled among the rest of his race in that hollowed ground in the dell mordred's health was very little better than his brother's but being a person of secondary importance the household took less notice of his ailments he grumbled a little about himself from time to time complained of pains here and twitches there now pointed to his chest and now to his head but he received little more attention from any one than if he had been some piece of household machinery slightly out of order 
i know i shall die suddenly when my time comes he said one day to lady Perriam. it may be many years hence i dare say it will returned sylvia with an involuntary sigh or it may be much sooner than any one expects but i feel a conviction that i shall go off without a moment's warning there are a great many cases on record of men who had a provision as to the manner of their death i have my provision so many twitches and spasms as i suffer must have some significance it may be that my heart is wrong or the seat of disease may be in the brain when you consider the delicate functions which the spinal marrow has to perform in relation to the cerebral matter you can hardly wonder that the brain is apt to get out of order when you look at the heart as a complicated pumping apparatus which is never permitted to rest and not subject to repair you cannot wonder that the machinery is liable to collapse i have received warning from both directions and i am prepared for the worst mere fancy i dare say mr perriam said sylvia with the serenity that springs from indifference no my dear it is not fancy but i am prepared for the worst i have made my will indeed murmured sylvia with a shade more interest she thought it just possible that mordred intended to reward her endurance of his dullness by the bequest of his worldly substance yes i bequeath my library nearly five thousand volumes of solid and instructive literature to the mechanics institute in monkhampton i also bequeath my estate now yielding two hundred per annum but likely to improve with the lapse of years to trustees for the benefit of the same institution they will build a wing for the reception of the books they will from time to time as funds accrue collect other books always of a like character they will furthermore employ a librarian for the care of the aforesaid books and any further collection as heretofore mentioned at a salary of fifty pounds per annum mordred was quoting verbatim from the will a document which he kept in his own possession and perused frequently with enjoyment i have sometimes thought he added graciously that such a situation would suit a man of studious habits like your father christmas had been in no wise different from other seasons at perriam there was some customary dole given to the poor but this was done unobtrusively through the hands of the housekeeper so that the blessings of the recipients assailed not sir aubrey's ears christmas day seemed an extra sunday in the week and that was all it was now two months after christmas and sir aubrey had been more or less ailing all the time the monkhampton surgeon who attended him declared there was no cause for alarm the severe weather had been trying sir aubrey was a little out of sorts and so on but with the coming of spring he would doubtless be himself again lady perriam must not feel uneasy this mr stimpson the surgeon an elderly man who enjoyed high repute in monkhampton said to lady perriam herself in a cheery confidential tone there is no danger then asked lady perriam thoughtfully none whatever a temporary derangement of the system nothing more i am glad to hear that i have sometimes thought that sir aubrey must be seriously ill his memory seems to fail him a little now and then he repeats things two or three times and does not seem to know that he has said them before mr stimson looked a little grave at this but speedily recovered himself it is a doctor's duty to be cheerful he brings to bear an amiable gaiety by way of contrast of the gloom of sick-beds and incurable diseases 
sylvia sat alone absorbed in deepest thought for some time after the doctor had left her sometimes out of this illness of sir aubrey's piercing the doleful shadows of the sick-room there had arisen pale with distance the star of an unholy hope what if the end were nearer than she had ever deemed possible what if her husband were doomed to die ere very long and leave her free to marry edmund standon in her young life death had been as yet a stranger she could not think of that dreadful presence as calmly as some to whom the fatal visitant has grown a familiar guest she thought with a shudder of the dark gulf the mysterious impenetrable grave which lay between her and liberty sir aubrey had been a tyrant but at the worst an unconscious despot he had never been intentionally unkind he had tried to shape the young bright life to fit his own placid existence had stifled all the natural aspirations of joy-loving youth had made sylvia's days a burden to her yet after his own fashion he had been kind it seemed almost impossible that she should wish for his death i do not wish him dead she said to herself when that possible release presented itself like a hope but if he dies i shall win my love back again my first and only love i will make him forgive me though i have sinned against him so deeply i will make him trust me again although i have been so false i know that i have power to win him back End of chapters thirty three and thirty four